Hello and welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Chris. Good day to you. We're here with part two of my conversation with Kaylee Forsyth, titled Plants, Plant Work, and Emotional Health. Today we touch upon quiet time. We talk about creativity. We try to lay out easy entry points into getting plants in your room, getting plants in your life. So we talk about some great starter plant strategies, how to get your foot in the door. Uh, We meander a little bit from there. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this part two of this conversation. I like to ask people about who they were when they were eight, nine, or ten, and and relate it back to their adult self. And so, were there any rituals or habits that stick out to you that were kind of part of your character as an eight, nine, or ten-year-old that perhaps relate to insights uh, into plants or otherwise in the last year? When I was eight to ten, I well, and I still to this day, um, it's hard to explain to people. There's a term for it which is, I always thought was strange, but it's called maladaptive daydreaming. And it's somebody that, like, I was a, a, I I was a very, um, not that I was, I was a social kid, but I would, I would also, like, turn on music and I would just, like, daydream and visualize and, like, spend a lot of time with myself. And I loved to read and I loved to challenge myself with reading. These are just the things, because I asked my mom this recently and that's what she told me. And I still do that to this, like, I don't, I, I enjoy my alone time and I still could, I, I can tend to get lost. I'm very, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Very like up in the clouds. That's why I need something to ground me. Yes. You, you know, cause I could put on music and just be pacing around, walking around, just thinking about things. And then all of a sudden a few hours has passed and it's almost, and it, sometimes it's like daydreaming, but could be thinking about what I need to do you know, or what I wish I had done in a, in a situation. It's kind of a way I process things. It's kind of a way, I, especially heavy duty emotions, I think. Like sometimes I'll get angry and I'll just have to like put on music and just like pace around and if that makes sense. Or yeah, that sounds no, crazy. No, no I mean, <laughs> It sound, is kind of crazy. But. No, it sounds like the benefits of quiet time were instilled in you and, and other people don't have that necessarily. Again, I can relate because I would, I love baseball then as I do now. That's one of my rituals. And and then as I do now, I love listening to the games. And sometimes I'll have the visual on, but a lot of times I'll just have the audio on. And I have very clear memories of laying in my bed in the evenings and just picturing the baseball game my, as I was hearing on the radio. And I feel like that was, that was some good training just a calm space and just a relaxed space, but also a visualizing sort of element to it. Yeah. And uh, I'm also someone who just really enjoys quiet time. Uh, that's very valuable. And and to be honest, it's pretty much necessary a few hours of quiet time for me just to kind of process. Uh, there's that much for me to process <laughs> every day. Yeah. <laughs> I am feel very similar to you in that way. And it's, it's cool because once... There's times in your life when you don't have that time and you see yourself not feeling as healthy. But then when you 
get older and wiser and you realize that that's part of what makes you a healthy person to have some quiet time every day and to have some hobbies that engender that quiet time whether it's going for a walk or a bike ride or transplanting or listening to music you know mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a great gift to have have that i think what's coming out of this our chat is a reminder of because i was trying to think of how do we how do we raise healthy eight nine ten year olds and with skills that are going to benefit them when they're 20 and 30 40 you know and i, I do feel like the ability to kind of self-soothe and calm yourself through some sort of creative activity. Again, it doesn't have to be creating a painting. Like you said, a broad approach to creativity. You're engaging creativity. So reading a book is it can be, it, you're engaging like the creative process by consuming it, right? Or, yeah. or like you know digesting it and thinking about it, yeah. or even listening to music. That you know they're you're still like touching on creative juices. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe creative is the wrong word. I like the idea of pushing it more broadly. Like the creativity is a process. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's a weighted, it's one of those words that's also weighted. People say, oh, I'm not a creative person. I can't paint. I can't draw. We think of it so rigidly. We think of it as you produce an art piece and then you show it to people. At least in my understanding. And I think everybody is creative. I think there's no human being on this planet that's not creative in some way. It's just about find the right venue or just the, the right face yeah well like again like people run away from boredom but boredom and creativity are close close cousins mm-hmm. and that's having a ritual that you do frequently like again doesn't matter what it is but just that it's something you do frequently that allows some quiet time a lot of times your greatest insights kind of just pop into those spaces it seems when you create the space just to kind of almost go for a, a bit of a wander in your own thoughts what do you think is the easiest entry point for someone to experience a plant <laughs> that was so poorly worded. It was um, poorly worded. Well, I'm thinking of like, you know... Well, I mean, you mean in terms of starting? I mean, you're building curious. a relationship with a plant. Oh, sure. I mean, I would say you the best choice would be to choose a starter plant that's easy, that you water once a week. Make it happen in your mind that you one day a week you're going to water it and then watch it grow. That's what got me started in it, at least, when start, and started from nothing, and started from thinking very low of myself that I wasn't going to be able to do anything also, but just deciding I was going to water it on Monday, putting it by a lovely window that gets plenty of sunlight, and watching it grow. But how do people know what's the easy starter plants? Do you walk into a greenhouse and say, I need a, I need a starter plant? Is that a common question? You could. I work in a garden center and I would love if someone asked me that because I can answer that question and I can answer that question well. I wonder if there's, like my friend started growing his apple seeds. So we already have apple seeds around because we have apples. Now those are the rootstocks. You're not going to grow an apple tree that it's not going to, it's not going to come to fruition in the way you want it to. But that's an example of like, uh, you can take that seed from that apple and learn how to germinate it, right? Get it to yeah. get it to come to life, and you could put it in soil, and you could see it. like that one. You, all you need is a small cup 
an apple and eight ounces of soil, right? So I'm and trying. I haven't to, even thought of that. I'm trying to like. I want to make like a really simple kit or the equivalent of it for seven-year-olds. Like, imagine if maybe they already do this, but I feel like every child should have the opportunity to, to grow something from seed as part of very early curriculum. Like I agree. I, growing small plants is from seed especially, but even from cuttings is just a joy. I know you mentioned in the essay that you love watching a, a vining plant grow and I have this I've been I have a vining plant right next to me. I was admiring it that is, earlier. Uh, it is just very happy. I have one of those. I don't know the name of this plant. Um, it's a pothos plant. Pothos and I should know and I've pothos. been taught but <laughs> No, it's okay. I mean um, it, it looks is, well cared for. It's like you're growing a rope. Yeah. <laughs> with, with amazing leaves. <laughs> Yeah. You take good care of it, I can tell. Well, I've have a I have a good experience working on farms and I've worked in greenhouses. My experience is working with tomatoes and pepper plants starts and and that was my like aha moment. I enjoyed working on farms, but working with baby plants, working with young growth and getting it on the right track in life. That is that to me is very wonderful. I feel much the same. I take care of the little tomato plants at work now. I, can't, I don't have one yet, but one day I, will, I would love to have an herb garden, vegetable garden. I don't have a garden right now, but I have a lot of the energy I would put in the garden. I put into learning recipes and cooking and getting my... Right, everybody's got a different... Yeah, yeah. but I, I certainly do. I, I miss having a garden. Is, is still, it's still different than cooking. They're both awesome in different ways, but I, I, miss, I miss it. I have to get. A, I should get a few more plants going just in my room and make me happy. Oh, well, I I am happy. You should next time you're at, at my apartment, check out my plants. If you want anything, I'll make you a cutting oh my God. or a baby plant. Tell me about that. You have sixty plants. Like, which of those plants? Like, how, what percentage of those plants can you make a cutting from? I don't know off the top of my head, but a fair percentage of them. What is that? A mean? lot of 70 percent, <laughs> or twenty five percent. Sixty percent. Okay, so maybe you know almost two thirds that you probably can make a cutting from. Yeah. That's pretty That's cool. That's maybe overconfident. Okay, so we'll call 50-50. Okay. So 50-50, your plants, you make cutting, which means that once you start growing a bunch of plants, you basically have supplies to like give everyone plants as gifts. Yeah. So like if this becomes like more and more of a hobby, like this can like grow very quickly because everyone's like, oh wow, let me give you a cool plant. Yeah, and I yeah I I have this. I think I wrote about it in the piece. I can't remember, but I think uh, I've given a lot of people the coleus plant that I mm. have, and I just my vision is they'll grow theirs, and then they'll give somebody a cutting, and then those people will grow theirs, and you know so on so yeah. forth until everyone in Ithaca has one. <laughs> Because they're so easy, and they're so easy to propagate, and they're so lovely, and they don't need much care, and they just have these beautiful... Okay, that's a good one for our listeners. So that's called, that's a good basic starter one, coleus. Coleus, yeah. C-O-L-E-U-S. Okay. (laughs) Great, great. And there's many different varieties, and they're all the same. They all root very easily in water. You know, you can trim it, put it in a mason jar, a clear mason jar. Oh, I've seen people do this frequently, right? This yeah. is the one that you see kind of ubiquitously. And you get to literally watch the roots grow yeah. in the container. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've seen this one all the time. That that's that's coleus. What I'm usually, what I'm often seeing, kind of long green. Uh, um, I could show you a picture or send you a picture. We're on the radio. That's true. I yeah, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but no, I don't know if you've seen that one specifically. Okay, but I definitely have seen rooting in water and mason jars that look just, it just a lot of looks people really make cool. cuttings from the one you have, the pothos oh, plants. Those are awesome. very easy to propagate, so you cool. can give somebody that if you want. That wanted. is awesome. That's such a fun thing. Growing is fun because you help life go on. It's like just basic nature. It's not even human nature. It's just nature. 
<laughs> Big yeah. nature. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Off the top of my head, I would have to think about okay. it. Okay. I your will. Chance? I mean, you okay. seem like somebody that's very balanced to me. Okay. Is it cooking and the bike riding primarily, or is there another I think, reason you think? I think a lot about the metaphor of the ship on the sea. There's a few metaphors I come back to a lot in the podcast, but the ship on the sea is like each of us, kind of our own little ship, right? And I like the sea because it's not a lake, it's a sea. There's always, it's always sort of rocky. I'm getting seasick. I don't like this metaphor anymore. <laughs> um, so you're, you're on this sea, and basically the part under the boat that keeps you from capsizing is called the keel. And imagine you go out for a journey and... You see how your keel performs at keeping you stable and you come back from that journey. And every year of our life, we go out for a few journeys and we come back. And it's like the journeys that really, really threaten us, like the big storms, they make us come back and say, you know what, I got to really, I got to invest in a bigger keel. I need a bigger keel. I need a bigger keel. <laughs> so you're functionally making this boat that is like really invested in balance. And it's like, all right, there's going to be 60 foot waves. Like I'm ready for it. Like I still check the weather report and I try not to put myself in the middle of storms. That's part of it. But also I think my boat has become very stable because I've gone out into the world and put myself through a lot of storms and try to figure out how to build a, a, a better keel, how I could be stable. I think that's kind of my approach is that for me, the storms had the face of anxiety. That's where I'm most susceptible by my nature to just strong anxiety. And there's also this depression that's part of that, but it's really anxiety is like my most acute emotional experience. And I feel like that, that was a real big problem for me early on because if you go back to the metaphor I had a boat that was ill-prepared I was in my early 20s and I was like this little boat and all of a sudden I was in the Bermuda Triangle and the storms were overwhelming me and I feel like I'm lucky that I made it through now that's those storms the worst storms of my life are now 18 years ago up until the last, I would say the last 10 years have been better than the 10 years before that. So I'm generally improving, but I'm going to release my five years of emotional health data soon. And you'll see that I still have um, tough storms. And I just, I just manage them the best I can and get through them. When around other people, I, I usually feel kind of at ease. Um, Maybe not like going to the bar where it's loud and crazy, but you've seen me in settings of small groups and small groups is, that's a very calming and encouraging space. And I think a lot of people have not seen me in my, my worst anxiety, although some have. Um, and that's because it, it is very private. It's not private on purpose. It's private by nature because... It's alone when you're alone? There's an element of, uh, of isolation, like an existential isolation. Or, or just a, maybe it's a very just a very basic human isolation, just like the isolation of modern living and the fact that we're social beasts and we're really kind of like, yeah, we got some friends and we got some family, but we're kind of forced to build our own lives. This is forced independence uh, kind of gives me chills in not a good way. I'm going to play an excerpt from a, a film soon uh, or a, a, a TV show that touched on one character being, you know, getting there, I'm getting to be independent. And that, um, you know, that's kind of the mantra of our, of our time and place right now is, oh, we're going to get this person to be independent. We're going to make everyone independent. And, you know, that there's a beautiful side. No, there's a practical side to that. 
But there's a really, really sad, a really sad, lonely, isolated part of that that I think that I think I know intimately and I'm very sensitive to in myself and others. That's what leads me to do what I do work-wise in terms of connecting with people and try to normalizing emotional health issues more and more. Not only do I want every eight, nine, ten-year-old to grow a plant from seed, I want someone to talk to them about anxiety and depression early in their lives. So they're not overwhelmed by it. So they know that this is this is part of the challenge. Yeah, I mean, you're very... I read you as a very sensitive person, very in tune with how other people are feeling. And I always wonder sometimes with anxiety how much of anxiety is you're very perceptive. Do you think that's part of it or no? Well, it's, I mean, it's, they're both part of, in my case, they're both part of my makeup. I would describe myself as, as far as I can tell, extremely emotionally sensitive. Yeah. Um, what that means, like some people are sensitive to different things in different ways, right? We have like a, a bunch of people with a bunch of hot peppers. Some people can chomp on them and be like, yeah, my sensitivity to the hot peppers. Some people can have one little bite and it will overwhelm their system, right? So in the same way, like emotions, like when I say I'm, oh, some people, if we're more emotionally sensitive, uh, I'm curious, like this is, this is a topic that needs a lot more exploration. What does that mean? Does that mean we're sensitive to anger? We're sensitive to all the emotions the same? We're sensitive to joy? Is emotional sensitivity across the board? Do all emotions go through one circuitry? To be honest, I would say, based on my experiences, being emotionally sensitive, I feel like I'm sensitive to the whole spectrum of emotions. And, and how I describe that emotional sensitivity is, it's not, it's not like you see someone feeling sad, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and they're, you know, they're sad or they're upset. It's empathy. I guess it, it is like literal empathy. You also feel that. Like, it's like, I don't, we don't really know all the science of this, whether there's pheromones or things we don't even understand yet about how we understand emotions or is it just we're watching because we get we can get these emotionally stirred up by watching films too so that leads you to think maybe it's not pheromones it could be both it could be multiple things right but we can get a lot just from we're very visual and we're very audio you know we could hear voices and see people's expression and it really affects us yeah i get really affected by movies We talked about a lot of good things today. Let's see. So we, the fourth subject of the Weather of the Mind School is called Nature and Culture. And I haven't really laid that out too much yet, but kind of finding existential peace, I, I believe, is to understanding that each one of us is part of nature. Each one of us is part of culture. And getting grounded in both those, I believe, is important in some ways. I like the theme of grounded and ins- being grounded and inspired I really like that you wrote about that, I like that theme of today. Also the theme of what prepared us to have success in in this time of challenge, you know, or in any challenge, but certainly in the, in the time of corona. So if we're thinking about youngsters and preparing them to be healthy adults, self-refuge, learning how to take care of themselves and, and, and calm themselves, and some sort of creative, artistic, engaged pursuit. Yeah, imagination, letting them play, letting them... For it, to a certain extent, be themselves. You know, obviously you have to tell them, oh, don't do that, you're going to hurt yourself. But within reason, playing outside with my brother, I could do that for hours. I probably still could, you know, just in the dirt or like 
riding the golf cart that we have at my family home. You know, whatever the case, riding bikes, a lot of imaginative play. Creating characters, talking in our own little language. Kids can be very creative, and I feel like we stifle them out well, of that. Exactly. A lot of a lot of great attributes of childhood, being creative and playful, often do get a little bit stifled. But it's like anything else. I feel like most people understand. Most people have engaged play or creativity at least at least on some level. Yeah. So like this. To, to go botanical, the seed is there, right? The seed is there. We just need to make some conditions. Put it in the right space for just a little time. A little bit of structure. A little. That's why I like giving people a little bit of clues. Projects or a little... Blank canvases are overwhelming. So guiding people a little bit to get involved. Yeah. And it doesn't stop when you're an adult. You can still do things for who you were as a child when you're an adult. Because you're the same person. I, when I try to think of how to build a peaceful life, I think about what gave me peace when I was yeah. seven, eight, nine, and here I am riding my bicycle a lot more because of that logic, and uh, so far, so good. That makes sense to me. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining the Weather of Mind podcast and the Weather of the Mind school. This has been Kaylee Forsyth, uh, and again, check out her, her piece, Rootbound, on vocal media. And we got a link to it in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. That was a great conversation. Just a few reminders. Keep up with the hydration and the healthy eating and getting that blood pumping. These physical things not only affect us physically, but physical and emotional and mental, all connected. Also, a reminder to be grateful for what we have because life is tenuous and let's just be... Let's just remember to be grateful for what we got. All right, living and learning. Have a great week or two. I'll catch you soon. Bye-bye.